Good evening. I'm Kenz. And I'm Alexis. Welcome to Spectral. Willkommen a Spectral. I don't know how to say two in German. I don't know how to say anything in German. I mean, willkommen is welcome. So. Welcome. Willkommen. Willkommen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're into November. We are. And the weather in Philly has been getting very fall-like. Very dreary. That's true. I like fall with some sunshine. Yes, it's been very gloomy, very rainy. Yes. Um, But it's beautiful in my opinion because it was still in the high 70s and sometimes 80s in October. That was pretty horrific. I say absolutely foul in my opinion. Foul. (laughs) Horrible. But now we're getting some beautiful fall temperatures. I have to tell you that I just found out about this last night, but Guillermo del Toro is directing a new adaptation of Frankenstein. Oh, I knew that. Uh, And you never told me? I told you. No, you didn't. You said, I don't even care about that bitch. Yeah. (laughs) So Guillermo del Toro is one of my absolute favorite directors, writers, producers. It's true. But he has worked on Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water, Crimson Peak, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. He was on Crimson Peak? Yeah. I did not know that. I, are you kidding me? Look, it's masterful. Of course he it was is on ma- it. It, it. It be. It be masterful. <laughs> They're actually making a second Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, like a volume two. Will it be better than the first one? I hope so. I mean, <laughs> I didn't think the first one was that bad, but... The graphics were just weird. Yeah, but I mean, the drawings in the book is are weird. They're weird, so. Yeah, but the graphics were like, I don't know, it reminded me of It Chapter 2, how everything was like kind of laughable. Mm, okay, that's fair. Just like the interpretation of it, I guess, was not for me. All right, I mean, okay. Well, we'll hope that this one is a little bit better. If you're not super familiar with like the horror genre, he's also directed... Or he's also, I think he was a screenwriter, but he had a hand in all of the new Hobbit movies, uh, Hellboy, like all of the Hellboy movies, Blade 2, a lot of that stuff. But he has said that he's been wanting to make his own adaptation of Frankenstein for his entire career, which is about 30 years. Do you know who is casted in it so far? No. Oh, okay. So you knew, but like not no, really. No, I, I didn't. I lied. I didn't actually know. You believed it, though, so I just went with it. Then they could call me out later. Oh, my God. I don't know why you're surprised. All right. Anyway, so Mia Goth, Ooh. who is in X and Pearl. She's in a couple other things, too. But Yeah. Um, but she is, like, one of the new Scream Queens. Super amazing. Great actress. She's intense. Yes. In the she, best way. Yes, she is. She's a great horror actress. But she is going to play the Bride of Frankenstein. And then Andrew Garfield. So he's going to be, they just have him as Frankenstein. And I'm like, I don't know. Because of course, it's technically Victor Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. It's true. They just say Frankenstein. Frankenstein's first name is Adam. Okay. So that's true. Cause based off Adam and Eve. But so I don't know Frankenstein, like if who he's, if he's going to be the monster. Because mm-hmm. like, look at Andrew Garfield. I don't yeah. Know. He's more Igor. Well, I'm assuming he's going to be Victor Frankenstein and Oscar Isaac. 
obviously I remember who Oscar Isaac is. So he is just labeled as the scientist for right now. So that's why I'm like, interesting. maybe he's supposed to be Victor Frankenstein. I have no idea. But the cast seems great. Who's Frankenstein's monster? I don't know yet. I don't know. It's but be someone. The three that big. they have casted already, it's already going to be a great movie. I have an idea. Hear me out. As the monster. Oh, no. Come on. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> just he'll just wake up with the electrodes in his head but in a black sweater and a gold chain yeah perfect. and like a flat top hairdo yeah. he's already gigantic it's still in pre-production so like we don't have a release date or anything yet but i cannot wait for it our episode today is in honor of our australian listeners it's been the coolest thing looking at our analytics and seeing new countries pop up crikey oh no please keep listening i'm really sorry <laughs> she is offensive always that is not even true (laughs) i'm beyonce always that's true i'll be talking about what many consider australia's most haunted location quarantine station this 89 acre or 36 hectare their measurement of land in australia i did not know it was different but that makes sense yeah this was built right off of port jackson on the north shore of sydney harbor in new south wales australia For some context, Quarantine Station is about a 45-ish minute drive from the Sydney Opera House and like an hour from Bondi Beach. Yes, Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach. That was bad. (laughs) Please keep listening. (laughs) We're just defending them. So I'm going to give an overview of the process the immigrants went through and then then discuss the haunted and paranormal experiences that have stemmed from the different locations at Quarantine Station. I'm locked and loaded. Thank you. So is all of Australia. I could tell. Okay. (laughs) So Quarantine Station was ordered to be built in 1828 after the governor at the time, Ralph Darling, had his son pass away from whooping cough. That's so sad. Yeah. But also reminds me of um, Peter Pan because they're all the The darling kids. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Believing the influx of immigrants they were receiving would put the residents of Sydney at further risk of contagious illnesses or infectious diseases. The now 65 building compound was rushed to be built. In a book on the subject, author Jean Duncan Foley describes his quarantine station as Australia's Ellis Island. Port Jackson was the entry point for thousands of European immigrants coming to Australia for a better life and was in operation from 1833 until 1984. I was just going to make that Ellis Island comparison. You beat me to it. Yeah. So how it worked um, was when passenger ships came into port, the immigrants and sometimes entire ship crews would immediately disembark onto what's aptly named Quarantine Beach and be separated into three categories. Infected, currently healthy, but exposed, and healthy. If you were separated into the healthy category, you were then separated again into one of the three classes based on the status of your passenger ticket. Immediately, three things would happen, no matter what group you were in, though you were kept in your category for these processes. First, everyone's bags and belongings were taken to be put into autoclaves. Do you know what that is? No, I was just going to say, what is an autoclave? What is an autoclave? It reminds me of auto in Wally. Okay, um, definitely different. I had to look it up because I did not know what an autoclave was either. But it's essentially a sanitation machine that uses pressurized steam to kill bacteria, fungi, and viruses. How pressurized are we talking like painful? Well, it was just their things, their bags and belongings. Oh yeah, you did. You, you said that. 
Hopefully, all of your belongings could hold up to intense heat as they were kept in an autoclave for 20 minutes at 115 degrees Celsius or 239 degrees Fahrenheit. So I wonder, like, how many children's dolls and toys just came out deformed. Yeah. Half melted. I feel like stuffed animals would be probably okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, your things were, like, baked for 20 minutes. I mean, 239 is barely bacon. Barely bacon. (laughs) I guess, but things definitely had to come out crispy. Like, there had to be some things that melted. Get that in. It's important. I think stuffies would have survived because I, as a child, just to clarify, once threw up and I assume the vomit was hot when it came out. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm just painting a picture here on my beloved little foot stuffed animal. And he was he was crisp after and never the same. But he lived. He was. okay. share who little share who Littlefoot is. If you don't know who Littlefoot is, get off the pod. Okay, so Littlefoot. (laughs) Is from the land before time. He's a dinosaur. Yeah. What kind? Not sure. And I think you need to further. I literally have not a clue. I was not a dinosaur kid. So. Wow. There's many kinds of kids. I don't know. I was not. I was not a dinosaur one. There is a variety of children in the world. Anyway. Can you just clarify if it was crispy from your hot vomit or from being washed? Uh, I don't know because I vomited on it, cried and went to bed. And then got it again in the morning. So it didn't smell like the bomb. So I'm assuming it was cleaned and maybe that's why it was crisp. Yeah. Maybe they put it in the washer and then the dryer. I don't know. That would so I'm pretty though. sure the 225 degree temperature, or was it 200? 239. 239 degree up. temperature would melt the synthetic fibers on the outside of the stuffy. But did they have synthetic fibers then? Or were their stuffed animals made out of potato sacks? Got you there. So anyway, while their belongings were being sanitized, around 40-ish people at a time would be herded into one of two cement rooms that would have been filled with zinc sulfate gas. At the time, this was thought to remove water from the lungs and any possible infection present there. The main illness concerns were respiratory illnesses like tuberculosis, whooping cough, which remember the darling son died from, and influenza along with typhoid, cholera, smallpox, and very casually, the bubonic plague. Super cash. Super cash. Um, I thought that shit ended in the 16th century. Well, Sydney specifically had 12 major plague outbreaks between 1900 and 1925. That's so many. Yeah. In such a short amount of time. Yeah, and there's some sporadic cases in other parts of Australia, but Sydney was definitely hit the hardest. So zinc sulfate gas was considered a cutting edge treatment at one point, uh, but now we know that inhaling zinc sulfate gas can cause coughing, wheezing, and overall lung irritation. So if you were carrying something, this would literally cause you to just spread it all over this little packed space uh, surrounded by other people coughing and wheezing. Yeah, it sounds like it gave you the symptoms of a lot of those diseases you listed. Yeah, and it was like only temporary the coughing and wheezing and like lung irritation yeah but if you were a carrier like if you you weren't sure if you weren't showing signs of being sick and then you were just hacking on everybody in this small cramped room obviously not too great um and on top of that the gas would burn your eyes causing eye irritation and skin rashes so not a pleasant experience in any way but it gets way worse how can it get worse 
So after you were um, gassed, you would then be taken to this large shower block that had dozens of individual stalls. Everybody got undressed out of their toxic zinc sulfate clothing and waited for the water to come on. At first I was like, all right, at least they have these nice warm showers to wash off all the zinc sulfate residue so it doesn't burn their skin. Fair, right? But these were actually delousing sprays, meaning hot water wasn't being pumped through each shower head, but 10% carbolic acid. So people would start screaming as their already irritated skin began to burn under the spray that would eventually, typically a two or three days later, would peel off the entire top layer of their skin. No, no, I need all layers of my skin. <laughs> I need everything, please. I do. I will not be taking that acid shower. No. And if you were one of those people that was like, I'm just gonna not stand under the water. I'll just swim away. I'll just jump in the ocean and go. I mean, you weren't directly near the ocean anymore. You'd have to run pretty far. Easy. Okay. At least I get on my skin. Even worse, each stall had multiple peepholes like drilled into it. More peeping toms. More peeping toms. So the guards leading you to each station could look in on you and make sure you were actually letting the acid cover every part of your body. I hate everything about that. Yeah. So you couldn't just like kind of stand away from the solution and like hope for the best. They would like look in on you and make sure you were actively rinsing every single part of your body. And like, in my opinion, peepholes make the whole thing so much more pervy feeling. Yes, they do. Like, I guess it gave you more privacy in theory than just having it be like an open you know, shower situation, but something about like not being able to see who is peeping on you Mm -hmm. grosses me out. Yeah. So after the guards were perverts, the immigrants (laughs) were then sent to their living quarters based on class and health status. So if you were in the healthy group, you spent a minimum of 40 days at the quarantine station before you were cleared to enter into Sydney. If you were in the infected category, your living quarters essentially were the hospital until you were no longer infected with whatever you had or you died. Only two options, recover or die. That really was it. And even worse is that the care you received in the hospital was very much based on your status. That's nice. Yeah. So if you were a first class passenger and you had some kind of illness, you were treated with much more respect and like looked after much better than if you were a third class passenger. The exposed but healthy category were isolated to see if symptoms developed. If not, they would join the healthy group. And this one was interesting. So if you came from, if you were an Asian immigrant, like any part of Asia, you were automatically isolated, like into your own group, which I'm assuming is because they knew very little about like what diseases or anything could come from Asia at that time. Yeah. I'm sure there's also a bit of prejudice that existed there. Probably. But I'm sure a lot of it was just, they just weren't educated kind of on what what could be coming from Asia. So that was like a strange little tidbit. And they didn't have like a ton of immigrants. It's mostly from Europe. But if you were from Asia, you were isolated all on your own. Now, if you were healthy and first class, everything after the chemical baths kind of seemed like a resort stay. They had a first class dining room. Men had a smoking room. uh, Women had a sewing room. Yes, so. Yeah, so. Um, there was a tennis court and a shade. Yeah. yeah, and a shaded veranda where they could see the harbor through the trees. That is so nice. Right? It sounds like very calming. It sounds honestly. peaceful, yeah. You want to sew, want to play some tennis, want to look at the sea. There Let's you do go. it. Now, there isn't much information about the lower class accommodations, except that they didn't have the amenities first class received. 
I would assume their experience was probably similar to that of staying in like a detention center. Yeah. Um, And there are, I think like over a thousand carvings into some of the walls of the different buildings all over the property from usually the lower class passengers that either had like something as simple as their initials in the year they came to like full stories to drawings. Um, Most of them are all preserved, but it is kind of haunting because they just had, that's kind of all they had to do. Unfortunately, the original third class housing burned down after the station closed. So no authentic version of them exists today. So quarantine station reached its peak occupancy of around 1,200 people between the years of 1910 to 1950. Its need as a maritime decontamination center declined as air travel became more popular, and it was only utilized a handful of times in the last, like, two decades it was open. Overall, around 1,600 people arrived on the shores of quarantine station, but unfortunately, at least 572 never left, according to the number of recorded deaths. There are a few different numbers out there. Most range in the 500s, but 572 is what um, Quarantine Station themselves quotes as the number of burials they've had. But there is also some speculation that that number might not be accurate. It might be much higher. Yeah. When the Quarantine Center closed in 1984, it became a part of the Sydney Harbor National Park System, their statewide conservation program. However, due to the size of the land and sheer number of needs... The program just couldn't afford it anymore and had to lease it out. So in the early 2000s, it went through a rebrand of what is now more commonly known as Q Station. That's kind of cute. Q Station. Yeah, and it's easier to say for sure. True. Um, Q Station seems to balance preserving the history of the site and also modernizing the land. So you can go on historical tours. They have ghost tours, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. There's a kids learning program, a museum, a visitor center and meticulous preservations of certain spaces. On the other hand, you can also get married there. Oh, wow. Stay and dine in modern accommodations or host your corporate event at Q Station. Not the corporate event. (laughs) That's true. You could do all of it there. Capitalism. Honestly, quite the rebrand, I think. Quite. But the paranormal activities still exist in many places on the property. They can attend your corporate event. You know what? I would like to add a plus five um, for the spirits (laughs) that reside there. So I found many personal experiences written on blogs and combine that with the details Q Station provides about their tours and the experience staff members have had. And the experience staff members of Q Station have had based on a Ghost Hunters International episode. Hell yeah. Um, If you're interested in watching the whole episode, we have it linked in our show notes. Um, Or if you want to read some of the personal experiences from the tour attendees, definitely check in that episode details tab. That's the same thing as the show notes. Now, using everything I just mentioned, I'm going to tell you the hauntings, kind of as if we were all on a ghost tour together around the space. We'll move room by room from the beginning of this experience to the end, focusing on what experiences have been had in each room. Then, Alexis, I'm going to ask you which room is the most frightening to you. Each one. You haven't heard any of it yet. I don't need to. I already know. Okay. So the tours meet around 8 p.m. on the dock off of Quarantine Beach. Here, tour participants are given a lantern, and the guide will begin the tour with a preemptive whisper to any lingering energy with, no one is sick here tonight. That's so eerie. It is is eerie, but it's supposed to be 
as a way to keep like the more angry spirits at bay, yeah. I guess. Your first stop is in the zinc sulfate structure I mentioned before. Um, you'll be locked in for a few minutes with your guide and told to keep your mind open. Some people have experienced kind of nothing. Like they're just like, eh, you know, it's a bit drafty, but it's a cement room. Uh, other people have reported specific and intense smells. A common one is the smell of sweet grass hay, which like there's never any stables like horses, you know, like that's there's no reason for that. But not everyone can smell it. It's usually only one person in the group, but it's always the same smell. The chosen one. I guess. I mean, strange, but... Mild cold spots and an overall sense of unease is typical for the beginning of the tour. Next up, things intensify a bit. You go to the shower block that is considered one of the top three most active places on the tour. Most tour goers feel an instant sense of heaviness and dread People have heard indistinct whispering, their names being called softly but repeatedly, and the most common is the sighting of what is believed to be a former shower attendant. He is wearing a uniform of the time and will aggressively stomp up and down the rows of shower stalls. Great. So not only are they whispering your name, but a pervert shower watcher, <laughs> a peepin' Tom, is the ghost that's featured there. Yeah. Of and course. And he's very aggressive. Sounds about right, pervert. So they'll hear like those stomping <laughs> pervert. <laughs> so they'll hear those stomping footprints and then uh like multiple tour attendees have been shoved against the walls. No. Ha- have been like jabbed in the ribs. I would knock you out. Yeah. Oh, there's a point later on where I'm like I would throw hands with a ghost. Yeah. It's also common to hear a chorus of weeping especially if you stand like towards the center of the shower block. But because it's very echoey, right? Mm -hmm. Think of like the hard floors, you know, like solid walls, a lot of hard surfaces. You won't ever be able to pinpoint what direction it's coming from. Me all the time. Which is just very disorienting. Yeah. Welcome to my world. (laughs) On the same note, there is a resident weeping shadow figure that is hunched over in one of the corners of the block. Not a hunched ghost. Yeah, I mean, they most describe it as it's kind of in like the figure-ish of a man. And it's like a deeper weeping. Like it sounds like a a man just crying. Yeah. So it's not really scary. It's just sad and unsettling. Next up on the tour is the hospital. So where original beds and nurses' uniforms are still preserved in certain parts. Tour guides and other property staff have heard snoring coming from beds, coughing, and groans. The most intriguing experience was witnessed by two staff members as they watched a sheet on top of a hospital bed slowly but distinctly form the shape of a body sinking down on the bed. Wow. Yeah. So they like elaborated and said, you know, at first they saw kind of like a head shape, Mm -hmm. then shoulders, arms, hips, legs, and then the heels of the feet. Gotta get cozy. Yeah. Like the imprint slowly just appeared on this top sheet. So then attached to the main infirmary room was the hospital kitchen. One of their most seasoned tour guides was giving a tour of the space when he felt a rush of cold air and was shoved to the ground. Did you say seasoned to make a pun? I didn't, but as I was reading it, I was like, wow. My eyes like perked up. They lit right up. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. No, it was was my um, nicer way of saying older tour Mm. guide and like he's been around for a while. 
Like he's seasoned, just like the kitchen. Yeah, I, I got it. I mean, I did that unintentionally, but it works. Loved it. Luckily, some tour participants half caught him as he fell, but whatever spirit is in there is known to be very aggressive. Guides will now knock before entering the space to let the spirit know that they're coming. Think about how annoying it is when someone enters your kitchen when you're busy, though. That's true. So, like, like I get the energy, although you should not shove people. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, imagine just doing your job and just getting pushed to the ground. Yeah. Like, that's the point where I would, I would be like, are you kidding me? Like, let's fight. Let's best fight. The stop after the hospital space is what used to be the third class dining room, but is now kind of like a restaurant event space. They'll use it for catering. On many occasions, waiters will see a young blonde boy crying in the corner of the room. If they approach him, the boy will either run off or straight up just disappear. But he'll be seen over and over on the same night. There are feelings of being watched, footsteps, um, kind of like sounds of like social gatherings mm-hmm. happening, and some chanting. Not chanting. Well, here's what's interesting about this part. So, very similar to what happened here in the U.S. In the 1700s, when the English settled in Australia, mm-hmm. they brought along smallpox. Yeah that unintentionally but happened uh killed just about the entire aborigine population in that area of sydney and where the third class dining room building is currently is where they were all buried okay all right so basically we have that traditional like it's a native american burial ground situation yeah. happening and obviously it wasn't intentional like we had with the lenape people in delaware here in the u.s but It obviously was something that unironically came back around because one of the main concerns and the need for this contamination station was the prevalence of smallpox. Wow. Yeah. So there's like theories that that's why there's so much negative energy kind of harbored in this space is because not only did almost 600 like immigrants die here, but then also many, many, many of the Aborigine people also died from disease in the same location. So this is where I think things take it up a notch. I thought we were already up a couple notches, but okay. No. So the kitchen next door has two main specters that make themselves known. One is a little more innocent, but still jarring, is known for pulling on the ankles or wrists of people with like these icy cold hands, sometimes hard enough to throw you off balance. The more frightening spirit is one that has attacked staff and tour participants. Get ready for this one. I'm unprepared, but okay. So there's a dumb waiter located in the kitchen. That's not nice. Don't call people dumb. Alexis. <laughs> not funny. <laughs> I do know what a dumb waiter is. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to think I didn't know what it was. No, she doesn't actually know what it Are is. Are you fucking kidding me? But anyway, there's a dumb waiter in the kitchen that obviously was used to transport things and meals on different levels of the building. Mm-hmm. So... A staff member will be standing with their back to the dumbwaiter, and they'll feel eyes on them from behind, quickly followed by the sensation of their throat being squeezed by ice-cold hands. No, thank you. They'll start to gasp for air before quickly being released, and when they whip their heads around back to the dumbwaiter shaft, they'll catch a glimpse of a young woman in a pink dress, around late teens, early 20s, with her own set of finger-shaped bruises around her throat. The specter has been seen often crouching in the dumbwaiter shaft or inside the dumbwaiter itself upon opening. Staff have walked into the kitchen to see the figure stalking someone 
waiting for them to come just a little bit closer so they could reach out and grab their neck. A tour participant was once attacked so badly, she had raised visible bruising in the shape of finger marks around her neck for the rest of the night. I was so nervous you were going to say the rest of her life. Oh, God. No, no, no. But never go near a dumbwaiter. I feel like dumbwaiters, they had their purpose, they did a good job, and something happened, and now every horror movie... Has a dumbwaiter. Yes, and it's always evil, and it's always terrible, and don't do it. I was thinking, isn't it a dumbwaiter in uh, The Haunting of Hill House? Yeah, yeah, when he goes... When goes he into the basement. the basement. Yes. Yeah, and almost gets annihilated by a zombie. Yes. yes. Yep. Ready or not, dumbwaiter. I was just thinking of Ready or Not. Yeah, so many movies. And I think there was... I'm probably wrong. It, it was a franchise movie, so either The Conjuring. I feel like it was one of the Insidious movies. I don't know. There was like a sick kid upstairs so they were using the dumbwaiter that they had it installed and then mm. only bad things happen with yeah. dumbwaiters nowadays so yeah and it is kind of sad because you're assuming that that's how she was probably murdered yeah hope that ghost is rotten in hell yeah and she does usually only attack men but like i said the one tour participant was a woman that she attacked so yeah. i don't know if it's just whoever gets closer but Imagine like seeing that like someone just like lurking, like no. all crouched up. That's Mm-mm. my nightmare. Yeah, no, absolutely not. So our next stop takes us to the morgue with an ominous stone slab in the middle and a rust colored drain underneath. Why Why is it got to be rust colored? Why did no one clean it? Yeah. Mm-mm. Sometimes for the ghost tour, they'll have a mannequin laid down in the slab with a white sheet covering it to give it a more realistic feel. This usually unsettles even the skeptics of the group, according to tour guides. But the morgue was considered one of the most advanced of its time, since there was an attached, up-to-date laboratory. Sometimes participants or tour guides will lie upon the stone slab. So this is, I'm assuming, when the dummy is not present. Yeah. They'll invite people to lay upon the stone slab, which I would never do. I was just thinking I would absolutely do it. Really? I think so. Wow. I feel usually we're flipped. Yeah. I'm just like... All of the bad energy. That, okay, well now I don't want that to definitely anymore. has been absorbed by that. It's a slab. Slabs don't absorb. That dead bodies laid on. Infectious dead bodies. The laid infections upon. die. So you could do it, and then you might have this experience. If there's a sheet on top of it, I will lay. There's not. Okay, we'll put one there, and then I'll lay on they it. They don't do that. Can I lay my sweater down? <laughs> you know what? Why don't you ask? Okay, thank Go you. Go on the tour, and you could ask. But sometimes when the tour guides or participants have, like, laid down upon the stone slab, they'll hear footsteps slowly walking around the slab. It's the duck tour. Exactly. The feeling of a hand on their foreheads. No. Or sharp stabbing pains in, like, their abdomen and chest, assuming from when they... Like it sliced open? Yep. You got it. That Y cut? No, thank you. Yeah. They actually didn't do a Y cut at this point. It was... Oh, wow. They would cut from, like, your neck... Just all the way down. One one straight slice. You're going to hate this. Great. But apparently one of the morticians had a reputation for being um, a bit of a pervert. Awesome. Join the, the, the day. Join the family, yeah. <laughs> and loves to lick the exposed skin of brunettes on the tour. I'm not a brunette, so I'm safe. Yeah, you are. I have black hair. You would not be safe. I know. So don't you go laying on slabs. No, no, no. This You don't have to lay on the slab. This is just if, if you were in the room. Oh, like then I'm were, absolutely safe. If you were in the morgue, commonly it was the ankles that would be licked. Wow. 
Supposedly, your skin would be like wet and shiny in the spot where you felt the sensation. That's so disgusting. That's so gross. And why ankles? I'm assuming like maybe that's what's typically left kind of like uncovered. Or if this ghost hangs out near the ground. I Yeah, I can't get the image of like a ghost laying down. Oh, God. And like crawling towards you. I was going to say, I, out of my I'm mind. picturing like this gross old doctor yeah. like Ew. quickly like crawling around on the Ew, ground and like no. licking ankles he's not that fast i mean he's dead now so he could be fast as fuck Ew. i know but he could be super fast and then our last spot of the night on this tour would be what's been nicknamed the grave diggers cottage awesome at least it's not nicknamed the pervert's cottage that's true so the reason this little house was nicknamed the grave diggers cottage was not because actual gravediggers lived there, but because it was a residence that was situated in between both of Quarantine Station's graveyards where they would bury their sickly dead, who actually resided in this little house in between the two graveyards were the doctors, or like the head doctor of the time. I think it was only two bedrooms, like it was pretty small. So it was either the head doctor and his wife, child, whatever, or sometimes they'll have, they would have like two or three doctors that were all single, that would live there. It kind of just changed out over the years. Now, what's so ominous about this space, it's considered one of the most haunted bathrooms in the world, which like a weird title to have. Could not poop there. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone wondering, could not poop there. Um, you know, I'm. that makes sense. Thank you. It makes sense. Even the most skeptical Uh, tour participants have walked in there's like one specific case of this man who was middle-aged the whole entire tour was very much like a skeptic not really buying into any of the stories he walked into the bathroom and immediately uttered this place is pure evil and and ran out of the house those are words you never want to hear yeah so it's believed there's there's a recorded death that occurred in the bathroom Specifically, a woman either accidentally drowned or it was ruled like a suicidal accidental death where she drowned in the bathtub. Okay. There's speculation that her partner, her husband at the time, actually murdered her. Probably that. In the bathtub and then made it look like an accident or or that she was suicidal. Yeah. Um, So they say when you walk into the bathroom, you feel like an intense sense of like hopelessness, despair, dread, grief, like all really heavy emotions. You sometimes hear weeping. Many, many people, both staff and tour participants, have seen glimpses of a woman cuddled up naked in the bathtub, wet and crying. Yeah. And the most distinct feeling that is well known, many people have had this experience, is when you walk in, they get the feeling that they're underwater. So, like, they'll hear people talking to them or talking, but it's very muffled. Almost like that feeling they say right before you pass out, like if if you've ever fainted. Your hearing starts to go. It gets, like, really faded and muffled. You'll feel like the floor is starting to give away. And it'll be this overwhelming sensation of not being able to breathe. So scary. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially it sounds like intense panic attacks, kind of. But they'll just, it'll happen to random people on the tour. Men, women, like it it hasn't really mattered. But it is always this very overwhelming, aggressive feeling. There was one woman, she was saying that when she was first like learning to become a tour guide, she could only shadow a little bit of the tour 
bit by bit at a time because she would just have to keep running out of the house because it was so overwhelming and she kept feeling like the floor was giving away and she couldn't hear and she couldn't breathe. So it's supposed to have this very, very heavy feeling. Almost visceral. Yeah, it, it's very visceral for a lot of people. That, like They will get a very much like their whole entire body will be screaming at them. Do not go in here. Get out of here. It is a place of pure evil, as that one man said. So that is the, the heaviest part for sure of this gravedigger's cottage. But one that's like a bit more ominous and has been seen by just people even like walking by, going to different parts, people that aren't part of the ghost tour, but have just like been existing on the property Mm -hmm. is a tall man in like a long black coat and a wide black rimmed hat. Suspicious. Well, I guess that was very common attire for grave diggers at the time because they usually worked at night. That just kind of was like their look, almost like their uniform. Yeah. Obviously, there are no current grave diggers, and it's been nicknamed that, like, this figure is death, basically. Great. And that death, like, lingers on the property because of how how much, like, sickness and disease and death has happened here. I mean, it makes sense for them to stay there. Yeah, and it has been spotted by, like, like a lot of kids when they come for field trips and stuff. Who's well, taking a field trip there? M- very, very many people. Because they also have like historical tours. It's not just ghost tours. I hate it still. <laughs> I get it. But many kids have like pointed out and been like, who's that? Or like they'll wave and only some people will see him. He's just kind of like this ominous lurking figure that can be seen very often kind of around the cottage, sometimes in the window of the cottage. Very, very unsettling. And that would be the conclusion of your tour. This is a tour I am never doing again. So after hearing the experiences in each room or each location on site, what do you think is the most frightening? So I want to say the ankle liquor because I hate that. But that's not as scary. It's just gross. I'm between the dumbwaiter and the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Because the bathroom seems like it doesn't affect everybody as intensely. Also the dumbwaiter. But if I was that person that was targeted to be kind of choked out, no. Nope, I'd be running away, diving into the ocean and letting the sharks take me. (laughs) I think mine is also probably the the kitchen with the dumbwaiter. That sounds, honestly, that or the shower block. Because I couldn't, I think about how overwhelming of a sensation it must be to be standing in the middle of this room in the dark and just hearing whispers all around you, crying all around you. Your name being called. Don't stand in the middle. I know, but okay. But I'm saying like, that's just very overwhelming as a sensation. Yeah, that's true. But less scary. To you. So if you ever decide to go to Sydney and want a break from Bondi Beach and... Koalas. And koalas. But if you're interested and if you're not really into like the spooky that much... Like I said, they do have historical tours. If you're all for it, they also have a step up from ghost tours and you can do paranormal experiences there where they'll give you like EVP machines and um, like all different kinds of ghost hunting tools. You know what? Let's do all of it. And they just let you run around for a couple hours. Let's go balls to the wall. You know, that sounds like a good time. I would be probably pretty scared. Oh, yeah. And there's actually these really interesting historical fiction books that are written about it so for kids like like middle school age children 
There is a book called Ghost Boy by Felicity Pullman. Um, and it tells the story of what's happening at Quarantine Station through like a child friendship. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then for adults, there's one aptly named The Quarantine Station by Michelle Montebello. And that one is like two timelines. It's her trying to like solve a murder that happens there. So it's very much like spooky with some like true crime, but also there's like a romance line. And so if you want to kind of learn more indirectly, and if you're a big reader, I definitely recommend those two books. And Australians, thank you for listening. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Thank you for hosting us in your country (laughs) that we've never been. But uh, as always, we hope you keep listening. Follow us on Instagram at the Spectral Pod. Send us a Gmail with a love note or a story, a nice little ghost tale at spectralpod at gmail.com. If you send a love note, I will post it on our story. There you go. Yeah, Alexis loves any words of affirmation. I do. So that will definitely be posted. And if you want to be extra nice to us, Please rate and review us on whatever you listen to the podcast on. Follow, subscribe, all those things. Yeah, all those fun things. And good night, sleep tight, and don't even let a dumb waiter come into your line of sight. Don't. Only bad things will happen. Only bad things. Look it up. Only bad things. Look it up. Bye. Bye. Arr, nar. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>